This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a hop shank. off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. I would like to welcome two-time Corn Ferry Tour winner and also winner on the Sunshine Tour, uh, Dean Pappas, to the Sub-70 Podcast. Pro, thanks for uh, taking the time today. I've been looking forward to the conversation, and uh, you know, I think we definitely have some, some cool and interesting topics to talk about. Yeah, you're welcome. I uh, haven't had an interview in a long time, so... Well, there's the, yeah. Well, you know, there's there's a lot to talk about. I mean, you played a long time, and also just such an interesting background. Like you know, and we'll kind of start there with like growing up in South Africa. You know, I know it's such a great sporting country. You know, I'm sure you played more than golf, but how'd you start playing golf? And then, you know, when did you know I'm pretty damn good at this, and there's a chance for me to you know play professionally around the world? Yeah. So uh, we grew up in a small town. Probably a, a Palabora. It's about a hundred miles south of Zimbabwe, right alongside the Kruger National Park. So it was a copper mine town, and I think about thirteen thousand people. And the mine had built the country club. So you know, basically starting at about six years old, we started playing golf, and uh, basically just grew up at the golf course. And uh, talking about safari, you know, playing on our golf course was like going on safari every day. We had all kinds of wild animals on the golf course. So, yeah, it was a great experience. What, what, what animals would you see out there? Like, so you're playing, you're playing around a golf, and all of a sudden, <laughs> giraffe might be out there. Like, what's what's some of the craziest oh, yeah. stuff you saw? Yeah, we had, uh, you know, there was always impala on the golf course, which is kind of like a deer. Yeah, an abundant antelope. Um, Baboons, warthogs, it was hippos in the lake. Are you serious? Uh, you got to watch out for yeah. those things too, right? They they, they can be mean yeah. as hell, right? Yeah, pretty much the danger, most dangerous animal in Africa. They kill more people than any other animal. So, yeah, but most of the time during the day, they just hang out in the water. It was kind of in the evening when they wanted to get out and graze that uh, it was pretty dangerous. Uh, lions around but, that area uh, yeah, too, right? Giraffe, uh, elephants would come and go. The lions would come and go. So we're, there was a few times the lions would kill something on, say, on the fifth hole, and <laughs> they just close the front line down, and you play the back nine. <laughs> so they pretty much they they did their thing. They left the golfers alone. <laughs> there was no real fear of having a lion attack on a on a on a on a guy on the seventh green or anything. No. Nah. Well, you just, you know, you had to just kind of understand the animals and make sure you didn't get in their space. Yeah, uh, pretty much any 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 one of them would attack you. I mean, it, it would be more severe if a lion attacked you. But, I mean, we did have a woman get killed by an elephant one year. That You know, and she just didn't understand. She was from Germany and didn't understand, you know, keep the boundaries and she got too close, and the elephant killed her. Yeah, well, you guys growing up with it, you probably almost get a sick sense of what's going on. Yeah, right? yeah, you, yeah, you know how to keep your distance, and you can see when they start. They, there's all those different animals that got different tails. 
signs that you know if they do that, you're getting too close and do back up, you know. So we never put, never push the envelope. No, no. You respect Mother Nature on that one. How crazy yeah. is that? Like, that's such a cool, I mean, that golf course had to be beautiful yeah. then, I imagine, from that topography and area of the country then. Yeah, no, it was great. Uh, they used to have a Sunshine Tour event there too. So, you know, we we were growing up, we got to see the best players in South Africa come there once a year. And so that was some good inspiration for us who, as who, kids. Yeah, who? And, uh, and then you and your brothers all played at a pretty high level, so I'm guessing the competition just in the family alone had to be had to push you guys pretty good, right? I mean, I'm guessing none of you guys yeah, wanted to lose. Was, we had, for such a small town, we had a pretty uh, big junior, uh, a lot of good junior players. So we had a lot of competition between ourselves. And uh, my dad was a good athlete, so... He'd feed us a lot of information on the mental side of the game, how to get your mind right for, you know, achieving your goals, setting your goals, that type of stuff. So, yeah, we had four brothers. We all played Division One, uh, top 10 teams. We all played professional golf, and Brendan and myself made it to the PGA Tour, so... Not bad for a family of four. I was going to say the odds of that. One one brother making it, but two of them is crazy. Um, yeah. Growing up, who were some of your heroes? I mean, I can assume it's it's Mr. Player, but was there anybody else, you know, that, you know, from South Africa that you just looked forward yeah. to watching when they would come to your course to play that was just one of your heroes or a couple, couple of the golfers? Yeah, well, I met a lot of guys, uh, you know, when I was 12, 13. My older brother was eight years older than me and he was playing pro at the time so a lot of the guys that were his age like David Frost, Walter Mellon, Nick Price, um, some of those guys even stayed, at, stayed at with our family when they were playing there so you know a lot of like Frosty and Filthy and I loved watching those guys and Nick Price obviously one of the greatest ball strikers to ever play the game. So, yeah, those were the guys that I used to watch. Ernie Els, you know, he was actually younger than I was. Uh, but he was beating us from a young age. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it's such a, a rich history of really good or great, I should say, you know, South African golfers. But I have to I have yeah. to ask, did, did did Uncle Fulte stay at your house ever? you got to have a couple, even from playing the Sunshine Tour, is there a couple good <laughs> Fulton Alum stories? Because the other guys I've had on the podcast, he has come up before – as uh, I got a story for you, Jason, and it starts with, you know, Fulton and you yeah. know, what a character, right? Oh uh, yeah. He was, you know, and he had such a big heart too, but, uh, you also didn't want to get on the wrong side of him. He could be rather vicious at times, but, uh, yeah, him and I got on well, you know, for all my years that I played, and even when I moved over here and I was living in Orlando, you know, Filthy lived there. So we had a group of guys on tour that lived in Orlando. We'd play all the time. And, I mean, it was funny. We were, uh, I don't know, is this an X-rated show? <laughs> Do you think he kind of, so, like, un- under, like, utilized his talent? Was he was he that good of a ball striker and player, in your opinion, like when you played with him? should he? Oh, man, I, I'll tell you what. That guy could drive the ball. 
better than anybody I've ever seen drive the board. You know, he would, we'd play out there in Orlando and uh, he'd go, hey, boys, on this hole, you need to hit like a firewood or something. And then he'd take drive out and just thread it into some thin area up the fairway there. But we'd play practice rounds together and, you know, you get those some of those fairways that have got the lines on them, yeah. the way they cut the grass. And he'd go, boys, I'm going to hit this one, Pappy. I'm going to hit this one three stripes from the right side of the fairway. And, I, I mean, if he wasn't in that third stripe, he was about a foot off. So, you know, it was just amazing to see him drive the golf ball. I think Fulty, for the most part, he was always just too much of a hurry. You know, he wanted to play quick. And obviously, you know, it's been for the last... 30 years, the biggest problem has been slow play. So, you know, it used to drive him completely nuts, so, you know. But um, I remember one time we were playing at Doral and we were getting ready to go out for a practice round. We were standing on the driving range and the wind's blowing off the left about 30 miles an hour. And I said, Foti, you ready to go? And he goes, hang on, Pepe. He says, you see that palm tree out there? And this palm tree was about 220 out. He's got wind off the left from 30 miles an hour, and he goes, let me just hit that palm tree out there, and then I'll be ready, and I'll be damned. He hit the middle of that stem of that palm tree, and he goes, all right, I'm ready to go. Yeah, like people, it's like his talent. I mean, if you just took raw talent, right? He, yeah. He was really, really, really good. Yeah. I mean, I think a little, when he got a little older, he kind of struggled with the putter. When he was younger, I remember he won the tournament in Palabora by several strokes. And, I mean, you know, he was just a stripe show, just down the middle on the green. I mean, you can tell, like, when he won it, uh, I think they used to call it, was it the World Series yeah, back then? When he got they the 10-year exemption. Both, yeah, yeah, the World yeah, Series of Golf. You know, I think he shot 62 in the last round there and just ran away with the tournament. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's a legend for sure, right? Just yeah. such an interesting character, right? He's complex, which makes him interesting to me. Yeah. And, I mean, something I didn't know, you know, once he retired, he started painting. And he's one of the most amazing painters I've ever seen. Really, I've seen some of his. I've seen some of his work, and they look. You know, he does. He'll do some paintings of racehorses, and uh, yeah, they look like pictures. It's amazing. I was like, Tulsi, I don't even know you. Okay? <laughs> is, is he retired in South Africa? No, no, he's, he still lives in Orlando. Okay. Yeah. And, and you never uh, knew he could paint like that when you were friends with him all those years. No, never had an idea. It was pretty amazing when I saw that. I said, damn, Filthy. He goes, yeah, you know, i got nothing to do. I thought I'd just paint. <laughs> well, multi-talented, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, the other guys you grew up against in that era, right? I mean, there's some – I mean, Ernie comes to mind, Retief. You know, what was it like competing against – you know, you said Ernie was a little younger, but playing with, you know, the best, you know, in the amateur ranks. He yeah, was a I young mean, guy. Well, like, yeah, I think, I think Ernie's a couple of years younger than I am, so – but I mean, he was com- he was competing and beating us, you know, being a couple of years younger. Uh, Goose and myself pretty much grew up together. We lived about two hours apart, so we played on a lot of the same teams. You know, we have district matches in South Africa, 
So they would divide the state into three sections, and then you'd have teams from those sections compete against each other, kind of like a Ryder Cup. And, uh, yeah, so Goose and I were always playing on the same teams. And, yeah, so we, you know, I don't know why, but South Africa, for being a small country, had a great amount of talent. Still do. You know, they've still got a lot of good players coming out. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, so what is it, right? Because you're you're completely correct, and it hasn't stopped, right? If you look at the European tour, you look at the, you know, the players and, you know, how many recognizable names, you know, even on the DP World Tour that play, like, from South Africa. And there's another good young crop of guys, you know, playing over there. Is it it such, because you guys play so much sport, it's such a sporting country do you think just has a lot of really good athletes um yeah and you know in in school too you grow up doing all athletics because the schools you have to take part or try to qualify for all events swimming soccer team rugby team cricket team track and field so they get everybody involved so basically you grow up doing a lot of athletics and then, you know, most of the guys start specializing. The guys that go golf route probably at about 13 or 14 years old. And, uh, yeah, and I mean, they've got a good uh, junior program. So every vacation we have, you know, you travel to Johannesburg and kids come from all over South Africa and they got this junior tour that you play. So... Basically, two, three times a year, you're competing against all the best talent in South Africa on this, like, junior tour, you know. So, a lot of competition. And, uh, you know, growing up playing different sports, I guess, just builds that hand-eye coordination and good athletics. Are you you still a fan of that as a coach? Like, if you're coaching... A 10, 11 year old now, do you still encourage the parents to say, hey, let let him or her play all the sports? It worked for me. Or do you like to be younger and more specialized at this juncture, you know, when you're coaching? No, I think I like to let them do as much as they can. The only thing that the baseball schedule for these kids is just, to me, is a little harsh. I mean, they play so much baseball through the year, you know, and you're talking about eight year old kids. I'm like, I could understand maybe when they get to junior, senior, and they're trying to get to a college or something, have a nice big schedule for the baseball. But I mean, they got these eight-year-old kids here in my town that are traveling to Atlanta. I mean, cities all over the country playing baseball for months on end. I'm like, I can't believe the parents. You know, they've got to tra- they got to take them there, and the right. amount of money they got to spend, and the time and effort. I was like, for little kids, I was like, man, they could cut that in half and it'd still be a long season. Yeah. yeah I, with my boys, I want them to play it all, even though I'm in the golf business. I, I, I played them all growing up. You know, our seasons weren't as long, right? It was kind of more yeah. local. But I, I like, you know, figure out how to run, figure out how to play, you know, soccer or for you guys football, right? Just play it all. Play it all. Then yeah. when you want to find golf, if you're athletic enough, your talent will show. Right. If it, it, you yeah. know, I don't know if my boys will or won't. Odds are, you know, it's not like uh, I'm the greatest athlete in the world, but I'm a bigger proponent of just letting them play all the sports. And then 
when you're ready for golf, we'll start focusing on that if that's what you want to do. But I, I like yeah. kids playing that's all the sports. That's pretty much what my dad said. You know, we, you know, we all grew up at the golf course, and you know, as a youngster, you're not not really aspiring to too much as a six-year-old or eight-year-old. You know, we just played along, and my dad was always, "Hey, guys, you know, I want you to do whatever you want to do in life, but when you decide what you're going to do, you let me know." We'll figure out the best way for you to get to the top. So, well, it just happened. All four of us boys chose to play golf. So, <laughs> well, sounds like your dad was a wise man, right? Pretty good advice. But yeah. I, I, I'm with him on that, right? I don't want it to be. Yeah, I think too. You know, you, it's probably like with with your kids. You know, when you're a PGA professional, and you don't want to. And I'm in the golf business. You just don't want to like make the kids feel like they have to do it, right? I don't want that. I want no. the kids to feel like they want to do it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my youngest, I guess he kind of grew up from two weeks old. He was on the road with us every week just about. And when he finally could walk, the first thing he did was walk over to my golf bag and try to get a club out of it. Apple, so, Apple didn't fall far I from the just, tree. <laughs> and plus, you know, he'd been sitting in that stroller watching everybody hit golf balls. And I guess, you know, when he finally could walk, he wanted to get a club in his hand to do what he had seen everybody doing for right, the right. first few months of his life. Yeah. Well, then it's... it was pretty amazing. So yeah, he's playing. He's playing Navia and Jonesboro for the uh, Arkansas Red Wolves, Arkansas State University. Yep. So he's a junior this year, and uh, he won a tournament in the fall. So things are looking up for him. He's playing pretty good golf. Are, are you coaching them, or is it too hard to do between father and son, or do you let somebody else do it? No, I've coached him pretty much since he was a kid. Um, you know, we have our moments like, you know, they don't want to listen to their dad too often, but everybody else around him is listening to me, so. <laughs> he starts to learn, right? <laughs> I guess he figures like, you better listen to so. Yeah, uh, the, the old man's got a little bit of experience and wisdom. He's won at a pretty high level, so yeah. might want to pay attention here. Yeah. Now, they're still a little hard-headed on the mental side, you know, and it's like, you know, it took me a long time to figure out perfection wasn't the way to go in golf. But, um, yeah, they – and I had another guy that was on college, you know, and, they stand on the driving range and hit balls and they piss and moan about not a bad shot, but not a perfect shot. And I said, boys, you got to learn that this game is not about perfection. Your bad shots have got to be pretty good and you just got to learn to get it in the hole. I said, you can go on tour. The problem is they watch the top guys on TV, you know, and they all playing pretty good, striking the ball real nice. I said, there's a hundred other guys out there that are not hitting it like that, but they're still making a living, you know, and competing. Well, correct. And also on the TV, you're, uh, you know, if it's weekend coverage, that's the best players in the world playing their best. They're, they're not showing yeah, the guy, right. you know, grinding out a yeah. cut when he knows he's got shit that week <laughs> and he's grinded out 70, 69, to, you know, to, to, to make it on the yeah. number. That's an art form in right. itself, right, of figuring out right. how do you play when you know – you don't have your best yeah. stuff that day. Yeah. And that's what, you know, that's what I find the hardest for these youngest players to learn is 
you know, they just figure it's got to be perfect to play the game. And I'm like, no. I said, some of my best rounds are where I missed six fairways, you know, got lucky, was never really behind a tree, got it on the green, made par, whatever, you know, chipped in a couple of times, made a few putts, and next thing you're eight, nine under par, and you're like, well, I hadn't even really hit a decent golf shot. You know, you might hit a few good sandwiches. That's, you know, from 100 yards in, that's where it's at. Because the rest of it's going to come and go regardless of how much practice you do. Correct. And then, and, and like you said, that almost just takes time and experience, right? I mean, it's just yeah. it's hard to tell a hotshot 21-year-old who pounds the hell out of the golf ball to not be perfect, yeah. right? It's just, the, the I think just, <laughs> you know, the game will do that to you or drive you half nuts and then, you know, and probably... It's, it's. I think it's hard for a lot of golfers to accept, for lack of a better word, mediocrity sometimes, right? Yeah, it is, you know. And, you know, I guess when we were younger, we don't think like the youngsters anymore. You can tell by the age on the tour now. You know, guys are coming out there 20, 21 years old and beating the doors off of people. You know, that didn't happen when I was growing up. You had maybe Seviana Basteros and a couple other guys that started young, but that was about it. You know, Ernie Al started young. But for the most part, people were reaching their prime at 30 years old. Yeah, like you, the goal was not like these kids come out now and it's different, right? They come out to win and they're ready to win. It's probably all the junior programs. I'm sure when you turned pro, yeah. goal one was like keep your card. Right, and you sort of learn yeah. to be a professional. It, 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 it's right. not, yeah. You, you learn from the older guys, and I was just talking to Mark Brooks, and he was like, "Yeah, like the first three years, like the, the goal was like, can I get in the top one twenty-five? And then yeah. he got better in his thirties, right? And he sort of figured it out. Yeah. It's, it's now they come out there, and it's you know, they've won seven yeah. time in well, college, and they're ready to go. It's different. Yeah, it is. They've uh, they've trained different. The game's different, too. It's a lot more balls to the wall every week. And, you know, when you're on your game, you, you're either winning or finishing in the top five. You know, and if you're not on, you know, you either miss the cut or you're at the back of the field. Right. It's almost like a feast or famine versus just trying to be consistent, yeah. right? You'd rather just be man yeah. on fire, fire at everything. And if it's bad that week, I'm on to next week. I'd, I'd rather go yeah, miscut, geez. miscut, tie three. Exactly. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's kind of the way the game's gone, seems to me, that, uh, you know, it's just fired everything. And, you know, if you're on, you're right at the top. If you're not, you know, even if you're not, sometimes you might have a top 20 or whatever. But they just learned at a younger age than what we did. You know, technology, I guess, coached them early. Yes. As opposed to, you know, we were... We were thinking, hey, I need to make it by the time I'm 30 because that seems like where everybody starts reaching their peak, you know. Correct. Yeah, mid to like 30 yeah. to about 36, 37 back in the day. Yeah. You know, when you were playing, that was kind of right. your, your peak. Yeah. Yeah, it's, but anyway. uh, it's changed. I, I was going to ask you, too, like you're growing up in South Africa. How the hell did you wind up at the University of Arkansas and then – there's this guy with this crazy golf swing on your team named John Daly. I can't imagine the stories you have of playing with JD. And the first time you saw him, you're like, "What the hell is this guy doing?" And I mean, talk about talent again, right? Oh yeah, just you know, and, and we kind of knew how talented he was before because he played some Sunshine Tour too before he got on tour, and he had won a few times over there. Really, just knocked the doors off of 
some of the fields, you know. And so us coming from Arkansas, we knew how talented he was. And then he showed up at the PGA and just, you know, people are like, where the hell did this guy come from? But, you know, we knew that he was capable of that. You could see it even in college with him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then we played on the Sunshine Tour together. So, um, yeah, we knew he could win, you know, if his head was on his shoulders. <laughs> but that was from the, from the word go, you know. He was always, when he was in contention, he was tough as nuts. And if he wasn't in contention, he didn't even want to be there. And he kind of went through his whole career like that. Yeah, right. I mean, because, you know, when he won the two majors, you're kind of right. Like, he never, he didn't spit the bit. And, but then there were other times where, you know, lack of a better word, all the talent in the world, but wasn't, you know, you don't, elite, elite, elite. I mean, you guys are all elite. You play the PGA Tour at the highest level. But I mean, like, Tiger is a, not only do you have to have that level of natural talent, then you work that hard on it. Yeah, that's where. But you know, I've heard people argue that Daly had as much natural talent as Tiger. If you know, from you know, in a... yes, I mean, he was unbelievable. Everybody's good around the greens. I think really the only thing that drove him nuts was his putter, you know. And he could also like when he won the PGA, he was rolling them in from everywhere. But but I tell you what, I'll give him one thing: he hasn't changed from the day I met him. <laughs> Still the same guy. Yeah, sure is. <laughs> how did yeah, you, we had a lot of good times. How did you wind up there? You know, from that far away, did you get recruited? I mean, you almost oh, got yeah. recruited, so, or yeah, like it's just such an interesting story from South Africa to you know yeah. to Arkansas. Um, well, my uncle was vice president of NCR, which is in Dayton, Ohio, and his kids were going to Ohio State, so he just happened he. You know, my oldest brother at the time. And he went to the coach and he said, look, I got a nephew in South Africa that can really play the game. He said, let him walk on and if he makes a team, you give him a scholarship or whatever. So the coach agreed. and uh, So he came over and played at Ohio State. And then Sean went to Junior World in San Diego. And he got a bunch of offers. He was probably the most talented out of all of us. Um but anyway, my brother said, don't come to Ohio. It's too cold up here. Go further south. So the coach at Arkansas convinced him that it never got cold yet. So he went to Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> and it he was showed myself. up. I think it was, yeah, it was further south. Yeah. But I think he showed up the first day in Fayetteville and it was minus 30 degrees or something. And it's like, what the hell is going on here? But anyway. So, yeah, I followed suit. My younger brother went to Arkansas, too. So, And, yeah, so both teams were top 10 teams at the time. So, you know, we were playing some good competition, played great schedules. And so that was a great training ground to get better. Because I knew when I got out of high school, I didn't have any kind of game to turn pro. You know, I had to come to college. And so I was lucky enough to for them to take me at Arkansas. And you know, a couple of years later, I was competing with the best in the country and was a uh, first-team All-American my last year, you know, with Phil Mixon, uh, Justin Leonard, Lumpy. Um, 
David Duvall. So we had a pretty good uh, class back in 92. Oh, absolutely, and, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 you know, and if you're an All-American competing against those guys who essentially, air quotes, all made it, right? That's, that's stiff competition. Yeah. If you're holding your own in that, you're ready to go pro, right? There's no doubt. Yeah, yeah. You know, those, we were all, uh, at least six of the eight guys on the first team uh, played on the PGA Tour. So, you know, and you know all those names. Yeah. All stores, so. Well, the other thing, too, yeah, so. when, when, when you turn pro, you know, that and, and go play the Sunshine Tour around the world in the early 90s, I mean, it was a different era. Was it almost like a traveling circus? I mean, there had to be some fun. There was serious golf, but it seems like there was, oh, maybe a few more cocktails at the hotel bar than there would be today when oh, I don't yeah. want to go to the gym. Yeah. So it had to be a little bit of a, <laughs> uh, it was a little bit of a rock show going, you know, yeah. on tour. It had to be fun as hell, right? Oh, yeah, especially the sunshine. You know, the South African is their culture is a lot more drinking involved and barbecues and having a good time. So that was, you know, American golf has always been more serious. I think Europe in the early days was the same way. You know, they'd end up at the pub after the round, have a few cold ones. Yeah, nobody was working out back then. I was working out from the time I was in college. And, you know, I think that just came from Gary Player, basically, you know. And uh, so anyway, yeah, but South African was a blast. I mean, <laughs> there was some crazy stuff going on there. I know we had uh, Peter Funerit, which is, he caddies for daily. Um, my brother, Sean, a couple of other guys. I mean, there was some times that, you know, like one of the tournaments, they sat in the bar at the golf course and never left till 8 o'clock the next morning when they had a tee off. Oh, my God. Seriously? <laughs> Just yeah. change of clothes, maybe? Slap yourself yeah. in the face a couple right. times and say, let's do this. Exactly. Oh, God. Yeah, crazy stuff happening. And then, you know, like if, if anybody won, you you always celebrated with them. So every Sunday night there was a party because somebody had won the tournament. You know, now, nowadays over here, it's, you know, you win, you might have a couple of drinks on your own jet while you're flying home. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a little different, but yeah, you know, times change. Do you think that was a good thing back then, though, just to, because it is serious business and you are playing professional golf, like was it good to blow off some steam like that every now and then? Where it's not just golf, golf, yeah, golf, golf, golf all the time. Like to have a few beers on Sunday night with the boys was it almost oh, better. We're like a therapy session, right? You're not concentrating yeah. on this thing all the time, right? We just let it go a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So like we sometimes we'd take a Monday off and we'd go fishing and have a barbecue next to the, the lake and have a few drinks and just, you know, totally take the Monday off where, you know, that just doesn't seem to happen anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, uh, I, I, just go, go, go. So, yeah, you're right. It's, you know, we we try to mix in, you know, play hard and uh, and live hard too. But, you know, when, when you were on your game and you were competing, there wasn't no running around. Yeah, you know, right. some guys would do it. But if you were serious about what you were doing, you know, you, you went to bed on time. 
you or you won't last out there, right? You can't do that. Yeah, you, nah. three years. Of, nah, you can exactly. get with the, every blue moon, but like, but it makes sense where it's like, okay, I need to disconnect from this a little bit, right? Like I say, it could be yeah. so in. You know, your whole life is you know professional golf. At some point, you have to pull. I would imagine. I would at least my personality. I'd want that Monday off every now and then and just hang out with the boys. Yeah. Go fish. Go do something else, and yeah. then I'll get back to it on Tuesday. Yeah, we'd blow it out on Sunday night and race Monday and then get back to it on Tuesday, you know, just, but yeah, I agree with you. That's not a bad way to go. I was going to ask you too, on your, uh, on your victory at the South African PGA, uh, being that it's, you know, your home country, what, what did that win mean to you and what memories do you have kind of coming down the stretch to win that one? Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great experience. That was my first win over there. And, uh, we had, I'd been working with uh, Mark McCann, who has, uh, a.k.a. they call him Wiener. <laughs> He's out on tour. He's got about five. And he used to play back on the Sunshine and European tour, too. He was a good ball striker, and he was a great teacher. And uh, I think he's got about five guys on tour right now that he he travels with. and um, But... Yeah, so anyway, we got, and he came over and caddied for me. And I was telling him, I go, we played the South African Open, and it was Saturday afternoon. We're sitting in the bar having lunch, and we're watching the play on TV. And I'm watching this guy on TV, and he's tossing his toys, and he's just acting like he's having a miserable day, whatever. And I go, so we know, how's this guy think he's ever going to play good golf if he keeps acting like this? And he said, my boy, have a good look at that TV, he goes, because that's how you are every day. And I said, you got to be shitting me. Really? He says, no. He says, you act like that all fucking day long. He goes, I can't deal with it anymore. I said, all right. I said, tomorrow we're turning over a new tree, not a new leaf. So anyway, he showed up the next day, and he was all fired up. He goes, Paul, we can make the biggest comeback in SA Open history because this golf was getting played in East London on the, on the coast. And he goes, the Southeast is coming in at 12 o'clock. And he goes, we're going to be on the furthest hole. So we're going to play four holes downwind and one hole back into the wind. Cause when the Southeast blows, I mean, it blows, you know, it's doing 45 miles an hour. So he goes, we're going to have the whole morning to gain shots. And by the time this wind starts blowing is when the leaders are going to tee off. And he goes, it's going to be a nightmare. So I said, all right, that's great. I said, this will be a good test for our new turning of the whole tree. <laughs> so we went out, and I mean, I was just wasting golf shots. You know, first hole, I'm right by the green pole. Five, I don't get it up and down. Easy chip. We get through about 10 holes. And I'm just saying, hey, we know, don't worry. We're just going to stay cool, let things come to us. You know, I've changed my whole attitude in one day. So we get to about the 11th hole, and I miss about a 10-footer, and he looks at me, and he goes, what the fuck are you doing? He goes, you wasted eight fucking shots already. <laughs> You're like, hey, I'm trying to stay calm. Right. Yeah, I said, calm down. I said, don't worry, it'll it'll turn around for us. So the next week was the PGA, and, you know, taking that new attitude in there, everything just cruised along perfect. 
Yeah, so it was great. You know, coming down the stretch, I was, uh, I think I made a putt for birdie on the 16th hole, and I called the rules official on the 17th hole, and I, because there wasn't any scoreboards out there. I said, radio in there and find out what's the best score in the house, or, you know, I need to know what's going on here. Because the 17th was a par five that you would go for, but it was a dangerous shot. So, you know, if I, I just wanted to know. So anyway, I was leading by four strokes. So I laid up on the tee shot, laid up on the second, hit it on the green, two putt. Went down the last hole with a four-stroke lead. So, yeah, I got to enjoy that one. A good walk down the 18th hole. And the whole way down the 18th hole, I was just thinking, you know, how many great players' names are going to be on that trophy when I get it? Yep. You know, all the greatest players in South Africa have won that tournament. So yeah, that was a that was a nice nice win for me, and they gave me a ten year exemption in South Africa. And uh, yeah, so that all you know that just meant I had somewhere to play for the next ten years. But you know, right after that, things when I got on the PGA and played between the PGA and the nationwide. So, yeah, I, you know, and then I could go back for Christmas, visit the family, play a, ra- play a tournament or two without worrying about whether I was exempt and right. stuff. So, yeah, it was awesome. Is it pure joy or is it half relief when you win at that, you know, a tournament of that magnitude? Is it is it a little of both or are you beyond excited? Yeah, and like, uh, my God, finally, well, you know, all this work is yeah. paid off. Exactly, you know, I like it took me a while, like I said, to figure out that you didn't have to be perfect to play golf. And for the longest time, I thought you had to, because I seemed like I was very unlucky. Like if I hit it in a bush, I was behind a tree or something. You know, I was never had these. I never had Tiger Woods skills where he'd go in the middle of nowhere and just have a wide open shot to the green. You know, and Mark and I talked about that. And I go, why is this somebody so lucky? He goes, you know why he's lucky? Because he thinks he's lucky. He knows he's lucky. You know you're unlucky. That's why you're unlucky. So we had to change that attitude. Right. And it works like a bomb. I mean, I'm the luckiest guy out there. It doesn't matter where I hit it. I'm good. <laughs> when you got to the but, PGA Tour, was was it you, – you played all over the world. Is the, Was the quality of – is it noticeable that the players are better or is it so good all over anymore that – it really wasn't much of a huge difference between, you know, Sunshine Tour, European Tour, you know, for nationwide when you're playing it. Like, is it yeah. a huge difference? Back, or, then, yeah. uh, back then, the top players were as good as anybody, but the fields were not as deep as American fields. That was the difference. That's the that difference. Yeah. So Europe, you know, you had your great players over there, great players in South Africa, but Outside the top 20, you know, they weren't up to your caliber. You know, you felt like you could just beat those guys all day, every day. You know, outside the top 20 players. Now, on tour, hell, you can have anybody win. Right. <laughs> you know, and the depth from 1 to 60 is it's deep, you know. It's not just – I mean, you got your superstars. You always have that, especially on the PGA Tour because – if you're a superstar, doesn't matter where you're from, you're playing on a PGA Tour, you know. So you got world-class event. I mean, world-class athletes in the same field. So 
top end's better and the depth's better too. And that's what you'd notice where all of a sudden the guy who's that whatever, that week is, you, you could see it. He's 98th on the money list, but you watch this guy and you're playing with him like this guy could win a golf tournament at any point in time. That's how talented the guy who's 100th on the money list is. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you couldn't just say, well, you know, if you got in contention and go, well, you know, I got Tiger Woods over here. And, you know, you couldn't say, well, those guys then don't shoot in the top 10 because, you know, anybody could shoot that number on any given day. Yeah, and, and that's where the depth of that field, all, all you know, yeah. 125 guys were exempt. They're, they're, they can win. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes. It's, yeah, it's... uh. Definitely, I mean, it wasn't as much as it is now, but there was definitely a separation from the, you know, the top part of those fields, South Africa, European, Asia. The top players in America were definitely better because they basically had taken all the cream of the crop and brought them to play in America, you know. Right, from those other tours. Bernard Langer, you know, Vijay Singh all these players from around the world. So our top end was real heavy, but the depth was also pretty large. Whereas the other tours, I had a couple guys at the top that were considered the good players, and then the depth also wasn't that deep. Interesting. Interesting. Um, any good stories from playing on the tour of, you know, seeing a golf shot hit or great stories of competing with a guy where, like, you know, that we would – you know, as golf fans, be like, wow, what a cool experience that you got to do at the highest, highest level, you know, out there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I kind of remember more some of the meltdowns that I saw out there, <laughs> which I used to find pretty entertaining. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you're playing with some guys and you go, yep, I got this guy beat this week. He's got no chance. I mean, you can just tell the mental, you know, the body expressions, the facial shit they say out there. It's just, you go, well, this boy's got no chance this week. <laughs> He's already checked <laughs> He's out on Tuesday, play. right? Yeah. Get me out of here. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. So, I mean, you know, one of the most fun experience I had just because, I played with Tiger Woods at the Byron Nelson in Dallas one year in the final round. And just having that crowd around was just, that was, you know, and that, you know, they, I've always heard them talk about, well, people, guys can't handle the crowd that Tiger plays with and this and that. But, you know, I'd always been looking forward to something like that. So I enjoyed it thoroughly. He did beat me by a damn stroke, though. He got you by one. Was, was he? Was the was the talent crazy? Like, could you just could as a pro to a pro? Could you see some of the shots he was hitting and just as as a young Tiger Woods, were you kind of like, wow, yeah, like wow, like well, that's... I mean, this he wasn't. Yeah, he'd been dominating already, but uh, yeah, I mean, the guy was just pure, you know, and uh, we used to hang out a little bit. Really nice guy. Uh, salt of the earth as far as I'm concerned but yeah I mean the way he used to hit the ball was just I mean you know like he'd get in trouble chip it out and he'd have 60 70 yards and I mean he's literally trying to hold that shot out and come pretty damn close a couple of times too you know it's it's just you you watch it and you go well yeah 
I can see why he's that good. You know, everything's about holding it out. Well, and the experience from you would be really cool. I mean, uh, that's what you want, right? You want the best. You yeah. want to play against the best. I mean, I, that's why you put the work in to, see, you know, uh, to go out there and compete and show off a little bit and have yeah. a big crowd. Like, I'd want that too if I'm. That's what I'm doing for my job. Like, let's do this. I don't think it'd be intimidating yeah. at all. Like, I this mean, is fun. This is why I do this. Yeah, it was. It was great fun. You know, I told. I had some people following me, my wife, and some friends from Arkansas, and. I told him, I said, you're better off just sitting in the bar and watching it on TV. I said, because you ain't going to see shit out there. I mean, because they are 15 to 20 deep around every green. I mean, you got people in the trees. It's just amazing. Yeah, that you can put that many people from hole to hole to hole for 18 holes. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. What a great experience. Um, yeah. And like I said, let's like, uh, yeah, I've always found it strange where it's like would be uncomfortable for the other player or whatever, but it's like I'd want it. Yeah, I was I was always that way. I was, I was never intimidated by any player or by the by the situation. So you know that's just the mental attitude I had, which was was good. I really never got nervous a whole bunch until I was in contention coming down the stretch. You know. You start getting, there's so much adrenaline flying through you that it's a different feeling to what you're used to, you know. But, but yeah, I, you know, I just looked for that situation. I was going to say, it's not nerves, though, right? It's like a good, it's a good feeling, yeah, right? I mean, you want uh, that. You know, I learned from, uh, from Pricey. Pricey always told me, he goes, Pog, he said, I don't care who you are, you're going to be nervous. You know, maybe not on the first tee. Some guys get nervous on the first tee. He said, but at some point you're going to get nervous. And he said, all you got to do is don't try to hide it. He goes, just admit it to yourself and use that energy to focus in on your target. He said, just send that nervous energy right at your target. And he said, you know, you'll hit a couple of good shots and you'll get over that shit real quick. He goes, if you try to hide it and pretend like you're not nervous or whatever, he goes, you're just kidding yourself. You're just going to stay nervous all day. So that was some great advice I got from Prossy. Would it work too in the it sense really that works. yeah, you don't fight it. You want to be nervous. It means you're playing well. Yeah. You're in a position. It's almost like what am I trying to say? Like this is this is expected. I'm good with this. Yeah. And then would it go away for you once you hit a couple of good shots, feeling nervous? Then would it sort yeah, of calm you back hit down? A couple of good shots, and you're like, oh yeah, I got my shit with me today. Let's go. Okay, Let's play and, this game. And then that yeah. kind of moves on. Then you're ready just to kind of focus and play. Professional golf. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, coming from Nick Price, right? It's not like he's. Yeah. I mean, he's he's seen it all. <laughs> exactly. How cool is that? Well, last question I had for you. I was going to ask you now. Uh, you know, you're a teaching professional, and 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 you know, you're at a country club. So, how did the Ridgeport Ridge Point Country Club come about, and and you kind of taking that over and running it, and and you know, doing what you do down there? Yeah. So, I was. Uh, after I retired, we moved back to uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, my old stomping grounds. And I had an academy up there teaching mostly juniors and stuff. And then a buddy of mine, Richard Johnson, not Richard S. Johnson, he's from Wales. He played with me on tour. Well, out of the blue, he calls me and he goes, hey, this guy, I'm working at this club. Yeah, this guy owns a golf course and he just bought another one. 
And he he's looking for somebody like me that's really played the game and that's willing to be the pro at the club. You know, he didn't want a PGA pro. He just wanted, I mean, he didn't want a PGA of America pro. He wanted a real player. Right, a touring pro who would take that experience. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's just what he wanted. So, you know, I came up and looked at the place and he made me an offer and we took it. So I've been here 10 years now, I guess, pretty close to 10 years. And it's a great neighborhood, best neighborhood in town, great golf course, great facilities. And, uh, well, since he, he actually sold it to the POA, our neighborhood over here, so now it's owned by the POA. So, but it's making good steps forward. We're getting building the membership real good now, and everybody's starting to have a good time. The base is starting to. Are you more running it or teaching or both? Well, I'm the. In the beginning, my wife and I were running the whole club, and well, she was doing more of the running of the club. I was, you know, so I'm just I'm the, the pro. I'm running the shop and the and the tournaments and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I do a lot of teaching, too, whenever, you know, I teach from quite a wide area around around Jonesboro. People come in for lessons. I guess word got out that pretty good at teaching. So, <laughs> so yeah, I teach the members and anybody that wants to come into town for a lesson. So if somebody does want to work with you, just go to the, the – is there a – where uh, they go to the – Ridgepoint Country Club website, or is there a good way for yeah, listeners yeah, to get good. a hold of you? Uh, yeah, on the website, they got ways, you know, they got it all listed there on how to get a hold of the club, and yeah, it's all good. Well, I appreciate your time with this. Um, you know, such an interesting back backstory, and you know, from South Africa to Arkansas and kind of everything in between, and then you know, playing at the highest level and winning at the highest level. Right? It's always an interesting conversation. So, it's like I wanted yeah. to say, you know, thanks for taking your time today, and uh, yeah, I've uh, I've truly enjoyed the conversation. It's a fascinating background, pro. Ah, uh, just I appreciate it, man. Anytime you need a filling, give me a call. Sounds great. Thanks, pro. Ah, uh, buddy. Cheers.